When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Wednesday, May 10th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 515 features NBC Sports Boston's Abby Chin. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. All right, uh, I considered starting this show by screaming into a pillow, but instead, uh, I guess we're just going to have to improvise. Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, we're always here coming at you twice a week, thanks to our great sponsors. And if ever there were time to want to come at you just once a week, it would be the way the Boston Celtics are playing right now. Abby Chin is with us, great friend of the program, and out there on the road in Philadelphia as we chat, getting ready for Game 6, which, of course, as we sit here right now, I don't know about when you're listening, but as we sit here, we are uh, just about 25 hours away from uh, hopefully what is not the final game of the Celtics season. I got to tell you both, we've been talking so much about playing into June, uh, never mind a game next month. I'm just hoping there's going to be a game next week. I'm hoping there's going to be a game this weekend. I was so happy to launch into this disgusted by the energy level, the effort level, the lack of enthusiasm, the lack of grit and heart and determination and give a crap that we saw in game five when the Celtics we're moments away from a 3-1 series lead and putting the Sixers on the brink of elimination. Come back to their building, and from moment one, all those offensive rebounds in the opening minutes, you could tell they just weren't in it mentally, and I don't get it. You're much closer to it than we are. Please tell me what the hell is going on. Adam, I wish I knew, and and I think that if anyone else did, they would fix it. <laughs> this, is, this has been a problem all season long. I mean, for the last two seasons, really. Of not being able to manufacture that sense of urgency when it isn't there, when their backs aren't against the wall. Um, I said it last night on the podcast with Forsberg, with Chris Forsberg on NBC Sports Boston. Um, I'm not angry anymore. I can't be angry with this group anymore. I'm just disappointed and it is so disheartening. And and you do know it. You know it in the first couple of minutes. I knew it in the first couple of minutes of game four in Philly that that just wasn't gonna happen it wasn't the night and so um if if there was something that could be done and this is a question that I asked Malcolm Brogdon before gosh we were in I think it was before game two was after game one and the disappointment that that was and I asked him I I said Malcolm you're coming from the outside this is new to you why is this does this continue to be a problem the team plays down has a tendency to overlook a team if they're not playing without their superstar and then also just just not being able to bring it unless they absolutely have to and he didn't have any answers either so i apologize i wish i did i wish i knew i, I, they, I, I think it's slightly more concerning that they don't have an answer for this that's i think the thing that but they never have they never have they never had an answer they just eh, they you know not i'm not, i'm not insinuating they don't care but they in their at least, I, and I don't know what happens behind closed doors in that locker room either. But in terms of what they say when they meet with Abby and other members of the media, they shrug it off. It's like we'll be fine. It'll be okay. You well, know, they we do say the right fine. things before leading into it. Malcolm Brogdon yesterday at shoot around called it a must win game. Knew they had to go in with that sense of energy, and then they just come out flat. And as Joe Mazzula said, tried to explain it. It's just one of those nights. It came at a bad time. And it it really did. It came at an awful time. I'm sure this is true for both of you, but my Twitter mentions have just been on fire really throughout the series, but especially since last night with, you know, fire Joe, like Joe's got to go no matter what. And and, and I, I feel like I need to remind people, you know, they, they only just recently named him head coach officially and got rid of the interim tag and gave him a contract extension. And Brad loves him and the organization thinks very highly of him. I mean, I, I know they've laid an egg so far in this series, but there's only so much of that 
you can put on coaching. When you're a superstar, when an MVP candidate doesn't show up in back-to-back games until the second half, when you're already not officially out of it mathematically, but it certainly feels like it. They were never in game four in particular, or in game five, rather, in striking distance of pulling away, you know, or having a chance and actually turning that into a game. It is not Joe Missoula's fault that Al Horford suddenly can't hit a wide-open three-pointer. It is not Joe Missoula's fault that Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon, good player, you know, great acquisition, sixth man of the year, can't make a, a layup better than a high schooler. It is not Joe Missoula's fault that there there are these underperformances on the court. He can't make guys care more. He can't make guys not make mental mistakes. He can't make Jalen Brown, you know, get off of James Harden to come on to Joel and B and then, and then go back. He like, there's only so much control. You want to get into rotations or substitution patterns or, you know, why is Peyton Pritchard checking into a game and not even touching the ball and then coming out when you need a spark, you know, why not go to Sam Hauser earlier? Where did Grant, Grant Williams minutes go when he is the only one who's done a representative job on Joel Embiid or, uh, you know, why is, is Jalen Brown's production only coming in the first half? really first quarter of games, and then we don't see him again. Why are there not more plays drawn up for him? Should he have called a timeout? Yeah, like there are certain things. I'm not saying Joe Missoula is infallible, but the over-the-top national and especially local, Joe's got to go, this is his fault, when they are exhibiting so many of the same issues that they exhibited last year and in years prior when he wasn't the head coach. This is a player's issue, first and foremost, and I'm not sure enough people have you know, recognize that. Uh, I haven't agree with you. I mean, this, you know, Joe's not in the floor shooting the basketball. He's not passing it around. It's, it's, it is on the players at this point. You know, Tatum has been a no show the past two first halves of games. That's a huge problem. Jalen Brown, more about the latter part of games where they hadn't seen him. Um, Al Horford's, I mean, again, Joe's not shooting the ball into the basket. He's only trying to put his players in the best position to succeed. And this season, they've succeeded more often than they haven't. And I, and I credit Joe for having a terrific first season as head coach. Uh, in the NBA, he went from Division Two Fairmont to the coach of the most successful team in NBA history. That's a tough stretch. That's a tough jump up. I'm happy he got the job. I think he's doing a fantastic job for the most part. But the problem is there are only eight coaches left at this point. There's only so much blame you could throw around. And Doc, for his credit, has done a nice job of playing certain guys in certain situations and managing Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey the best way he possibly can. I'm not going to sit here and give, you know, a Joe Mazzulla a hard time because he's still figuring out how to run his team the most effectively. I know he's done a decent job of it, but there are certain things he can get better at, and he's learning on the job. I think we all understand that. It's on the team who's been to X amount of Eastern Conference Finals and went to the NBA Finals last year. This is a team that's been there, done that. And this is what's the most frustrating part to me. I spent a lot of time between our show with Steve Bullpett and then various you know hours after the game and into, let's see, or what's today, Wednesday? So that would be Tuesday, so Monday. Uh, defending the mental toughness of this team because I was the guy saying they've been to how many, how many big games? They've played in so many conference finals. They played Giannis on the road in game six, won that game, won a game seven at home, beat Jimmy Butler on the road in game seven to get the NBA finals. Like you're not a mentally tough team if you can't do that. Yet here we are, and I kind of have to question my own sanity at this point, Abby. Like I do believe this team is mentally tough. I do believe the right players to win the title are on this team. But yet here we are. It's game six tomorrow night or tonight, depending when you listen to this. And Boston season is on the line. I can't believe we're here, App. I I do believe the mental toughness of the team, but I, I just don't understand that it comes and goes, I guess, is where I'm frustrated by. Yes, and I think that's fair. I can't doubt their mental toughness until we're proven wrong. And and we weren't proven wrong last season until the NBA Finals game six. And you gotta argue that that was more fatigue and physical than mental. I would say, well, mental fatigue, not toughness. And so I, I'm not going to doubt them. I, there are just everything that you laid out, there are circumstances for. And so Doc Rivers has a boatload of playoff experience, varied at best. And while he does have the 2008 NBA championship, he also has a lot of not great finishes. And so 
And he has said it himself. He did not come into a situation where it was championship or bust. He had time to grow and learn in that position and learn lessons. Those are the facts. I will say that the expectations, everyone knew what they were getting into. And by everyone, I mean Joe Missoula and the pressure that was going to be there in this position, taking a team that is ready to be a title contender, has all of the pieces and only got better from a year ago. But I will also say that no one's going to be harder on himself than Joe Missoula. And that's one thing that I've learned from covering him for this year and being around him is he understands the expectations. He understands what is required, what he should be doing, what he is expected to do. And he doesn't shy away from that. He's not stepping down from that. He understands that he's trying to, that's what all the jujitsu stuff is for is to prepare himself for these battles that he is in. And I think he's doing everything that he can. It's a matter of, and, and I'm not trying to be a green teamer and say, you know, he's allowed to learn on the job because that I guess that's that's my point is that while you are allowed to learn on the job, this is it. These are the moments. This is what you become a coach for is these playoff moments. And this is what you're doing in Boston, in Titletown. It, it's it's go time. So I think that everyone understands what the expectations are. And now it's just a matter of meeting those. Yeah, again, there there are adjustments to be made, and I'm not going to sit here and claim to know more than an NBA head coach or or someone that even played college basketball. I don't, but you know, I'm I'm a I'm a viewer like anybody else, and I have my questions. Like obviously, mixing up the rotations. If if, if you need a spark, put Pritchard in earlier. Put Hauser in earlier. Like you're it, this, you're getting the open looks. You're drawing up plays that are getting guys wide open looks. You're just missing shots. Maybe these guys who are good three-point shooters, Hauser especially, can hit some shots. You know, Rob was a, about his worst, Rob Williams, in game five in terms of effectiveness spanning nearly 20 minutes. He had, I think, one rebound. Did he even have a block? Maybe he had one. I mean, th- this is not the Rob we're used to seeing, and we can't pinpoint it on on a, a an injury or lack of health. This is just poor production. You know, maybe go to a double big, which is something that's been virtually non-existent. See more Grant Williams, even if he's a little bit in foul trouble. I just, there there are questions. But if I'm to oversimplify this and say the most obvious NBA playoff statement that could possibly be made, and it applies more to the NBA than probably any other sport, your best players have to be your best players. We're seeing it on the Philly side. Joel Embiid, who, you know, many declared, were, you know, he's not even going to play in this series. He's so hurt. He's got the 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 ligament sprain. Maybe we'll see him a couple of games, but he's going to, you know, be very limited when he's actually in there. He has played like the MVP. He has played like the guy who won that award over the last couple of games after he shook, shook off a little bit of early series rust from his absence. James Harden has had a couple of elite MVP turn back the clock games and was very effective in game five. Obviously, two and three, he sucked. On the other side, Jason Tatum, great in game one, really hasn't done so much since. Some of the really good counting numbers, people point to to what he did, and I think it was game four when he had like the 30-20 game, basically, 18 rebounds, but he was pretty much there. But so much of that came in the second half when it was kind of too little too late. And again, in game five, he just wasn't there until he had to be, and when he was, nobody else around him was. Jalen Brown Early production, nothing late. You want to put it on the coach for not drawing up enough plays for Jalen? You can do that. That is, again, part of the overall conversation. But until we get like a 30-30 game out of both these guys, which better show up in game six, you just you can only rely so much on the likes of Smart, Brogdon, White, Al. Your best players have to be your best players, Abby. I agree with that. I want to know why Evan was making those faces. I, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't play Jason Tatum for Game Four. That that's a little outrageous because he was one of eight from the field or one of nine from the field in the first half, and then was excellent in the second half. Uh, and and pretty much okay. But if he had even been representative in the first half, they well, wouldn't. Yeah, okay, be- okay. He had a bad first half. I'm not saying he didn't have a bad first half. And I'm he held onto the ball for just half. a fraction of a second too long in the but overtime. Also game. fair, absolutely. I I think we misblame. Another thing, it's not Joe's fault, by the way. Well, I I think we put. We we didn't the blame pie of game four incorrectly went to many people. And I think Marcus Smart got all these strays that I didn't understand at all. Like, what do you want him to do? Not shoot the ball? Like It went in too. He, yeah. It went in. The last it one. Went, 
Like, what are we doing here? Like, smart, I think of all the people that we could blame as the last guy on the list because, like, what do you want him to do? Not shoot the open shot? That's crazy. Like, that's just nuts. Tatum, I thought, especially in game five, the only guy that wanted to be on the court in the game. Um, and, I, and the one thing I'll say about Jason as a criticism is – Jason was the only guy who wanted to be on the floor in game five? Pretty sure. Like, in terms of trying to get stuff done, he's the only guy that played with effort, in my opinion. Didn't seem like a lot of guys played with a ton of effort. I didn't think that. I mean, Marcus Smart was out there. So since one of the big adjustments that the Sixers have made, right, is taking Harden off the ball when they're bringing it up the floor. So whoever is there, he gets it out of his hands to eliminate some of that ball pressure. But they're still trying to pressure the ball. Marcus Smart, last night, I saw him yelling it because Embiid brought the ball up once. He's like, Al, come get your guy. This is your guy. And then Tyrese Maxey brings the ball up the one, the floor once. And he's like, Derek, where are you? What are you doing? You know, I, to me and Adam, as I heard you speaking, the offense is not the problem. Yes, shot variance was an issue in game mm-hmm. five. And, and that's a problem for this team has been. But it's the defense and the lack of execution, the intensity, the fact that this pick and yeah. roll, they know that it's coming at them. I mean, it's it's James Harden is one of the best pick and roll players in the NBA and has been for decades. And so the fact that I, to me with Joe Missoula, the, the basketball, the X's and O's, that's not the question. This is the guy who Ime Doka turned to when Derek White showed up midway through last season and said, go see that guy, figure out what's going on with our defense. This is the guy that Jalen Brown credits for turning his season around, calling other guys into film sessions to break down what's going on and how to fix things. So to me, this is, I I can't fault the game plan because it's not being executed well enough to know what's going wrong. And so particularly on the defensive end. And then if, if there's no defense, if you can't get stops, the offense while it's been amazing all year, can't keep up with that. And so I think that that's, to me, where it begins. And that's what I want to see is that defensive intensity and execution to the game plan. Like, in game three in Philly, it was amazing to see the defense, the way they were playing off of each other, different Mm -hmm. guys going at Joel Embiid at different times, showing them all kinds of different looks. It was clear that everyone was on the same page, knew exactly when to go, when not to show all of that. It was so fun to watch. And it was, we've seen it for one game. And so I want to see more of that. I think that that is going to be absolutely necessary for them to get a win in game six and to win this series. If here's what I want to know as we come at you two, uh, two episodes a week, next one will probably be Saturday because God forbid we cannot record on, on Sunday. It's a game day. It's also Mother's Day. So probably yeah, we're not Saturday, doing that. Yeah, we're not doing that. Okay. Yeah, I, I pray, I pray it is not a postmortem on the season and it is a look ahead to game seven. But what I want to know, Ed, for game six, how are people going to be betting on this one? Well, look, we first have to tell you that today's show and uh, a lot of our shows from here on out are going to be brought to you solely by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel in the NBA playoffs today because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars folks it's one thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win so let's pull it up i don't really like doing this because i don't like looking ahead like this it's not my favorite thing but we have to do it uh for the odds for game six in philadelphia on thursday c's are a minus two favorite which i don't (laughs) love at all whatsoever (laughs) They are a favorite in Philadelphia in game six. Uh, man, my heart does not like this at all. That's been bet up, too. It started at minus one and a half. Oh, man, I don't love it. I don't love it. So the C's are minus two. Okay, so let's just paint the picture, right? Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to build your same game parlay, how do the Celtics win by two or more points? Great question. Well, I would tell you, probably Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going off for at least 25 apiece. I would also... It would make a huge deal to me if Al Horford could make a single three-pointer in this game. All right, so let's just do this real quick. C's minus two, Tatum 25-plus, Brown 25-plus, and Al Horford to make one freaking three in this game. If you combine all together in an SGP via FanDuel, your odds are plus 326, which is a great 
I guess great odds if you want to gamble on the Seas saving their season in Philadelphia. It's really tough, but you can get this on the FanDuel's desktop site and also on their app. It's super easy to use. You can get promos every single day. It's safe, secure, easy to use. You can get paid instantly. You get paid fast. That's a big, big, big perk. No better place to place all your playoff action bets than America's number one sportsbook. That is FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a no-sweat first bet. Up to $1,000. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash Boston for a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. FanDuel, the official sporting uh, sports betting partner of the NBA. 21-plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 100 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 to visit ksgamblinghelp.com. In Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit MDGamblingHelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. I can't believe you haven't memorized that by now. I haven't. Wow. It's all here, man. I've heard it in so many podcasts. Yes, and Warner Girl, she'll have time to look at her Yeah, right? What is it? What is it? We'll take a quick to water do? break. What we can exactly. do in the, in the time it takes me to read the disclaimer is a, a own separate there. podcast. There, there, is, is there a betting line on, on how long it takes you to read through that? That's Well, we I, can do that. Maybe I, we call I, FanDuel and, and see if we I'd can take, do that. Take the over. It's like the national anthem, like Bullpet. Always was. take the over That's because me. I'm trying to get it done. And if I do it, I actually – I think of uh, – Russillo does this. He does it very slow for a specific reason, and I remind myself as I'm reading it, I'm like, Ryan Russillo reads this very slow so he can get it done in one shot. So just go slow, you'll be just fine. <laughs> right, when you get I got all the uh, and stuff and have to go back and redo it. Yeah, um, I haven't had to do that yet. We're, we're doing well. I got a question from James on Twitter that I wanted to throw out. I got a lot of questions, but, right, but this, is, this is the one I'll isolate it. Hope all's well. Big fan of your work, guys. Uh, wondering if you can help me wrap my head around it or uh, bring it up on the next pod. Well, here we go, James. Uh, why do we not use Tatum and Brown together in the pick and roll down the stretch of games or throughout the game? I'll hang up and listen. LOL. So frustrated, but let's go Celtics. What do we think? I'll defer to you guys. I have an answer. Please. Uh, so the problem is, uh, for me at least, that two similarly sized defenders probably guard those two guys, and that they probably are more focused on getting a smaller guy on Tatum or Brown. So if you're going to be running a pick and roll, you're more likely to do it with Marcus Smart or wherever Tyrese Maxey is. And Tyrese Maxey is probably not on Jalen Brown inside the possession. So um, that's because I have often also wondered this. I'm like, why does the Harden and Embiid thing work and not Tatum and Brown? It's probably because of the matchups that they're trying to exploit. Like wherever Tyrese Maxey is or wherever James Harden is, they often try and attack those two guys. And I would guess they probably won't start possessions on either Tatum or Brown if they were smart. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't make that work, right? You can't manipulate their defense to make that happen. Um, But that takes up a lot of time. And the issue I think with Boston is they've been down a lot recently and they haven't had a lot of time to – to slow the game down, and especially against Philly, you want them to against the Sixers. Yeah, you want to speed it up. Like that's the that's the thing that kills me. Like, not the not the like the Tatum and, and and Brown pick and roll stuff. It's like this team does not run fast enough for me. Like off makes, like push the ball. And one of the things that drives me crazy is the lack of running. And I understand it for like, hey, off makes they're not pushing the basketball because the other team made a shot. It's like that doesn't mean you still can't run. Like, you can still run. Like, make them run. And that's the most frustrating part to me, personally. The Sixers are one of the slowest teams in the NBA. I agree that pace offensively, particularly in this series, is so important. 
As far as the pick and roll, I am going to defer to the Celtics coaching staff who is in it studying hours and hours and hours of film. If that's not the offense that they see that's best suited to this group, then there must be a reason why. What Evan explained, whatever it is, it is, it goes much further than, hey, let's just see what happens here. You know, there, there's a reason they're not doing it. I don't know specifically. I can't give you the exact X's and O's, but there are well, reasons. about the guys that cover Tatum and Brown? Like, DeAnthony Melton's going to be on that list. P.J. Tucker's going to be on that list. Uh, who else is a wing defender that guards those guys? They've used Harden and Daniel Jr. After, the, after last night. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was amazing last night, by the way. Shout out. But uh, you're normally not attacking those guys when you're running your offense. You're not trying to – I mean, P.J. Tucker has been a pain in the ass for years. You know, I mean, I know he's an older guy, but, like, he just – he's very physical. He's going to muck it up a little bit, and he's going to make the refs call it. And they've called some really weird ones that have gone to the Celtics' favor in this particular series. But a lot of times you're not trying to really attack him in one-on-one basketball. You're not trying to attack Jaden McDaniels. You're not trying to attack, uh, you know, D'Anthony Melton. You're trying to attack Harden and Maxey. Those two guys mm-hmm. aren't covering if, – if James Harden or Tyrese Maxey is covering Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum to start a possession, the ball should start there and get out of the way because those two guys can handle mostly Maxi and Harden has done a better job holding up a little bit. Um, but he's, he's been able to take some physicality. Um, but like, that's the reason why you're, because you're attacking different guys. You're not attacking the wing guys, but maybe that, maybe that's what needs to change. Maybe they need to, because maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe those two guys got to get more involved. I don't think maybe it's, that'll be one of the adjustments that we see maybe. coming up here in game six. Really so I'm, I'm not a big make miss league kind of guy i know it's, oh, it's I a popular adage I'm, I'm just i'm not i've I've kind of always hated the notion i i feel like i don't think that's the problem here adam you think it's a make miss problem well i i say that to say this greeny had a stat uh after this loss while he was you know just going through internet therapy on twitter <laughs> celtic shooting numbers uh, against the hawks versus against the sixers from three-point range the only guy who has been better in this series and he's basically been twice as good, is Malcolm Brogdon, 53% versus 28%. Grant, albeit a limited sample size in the first series, has dropped considerably from 83% to 30. Jalen Brown from 52 to 43. Derek White from 46 to 33. Uh, Sam Hauser, limited action, but from 46 to 20. Marcus Smart, 39 to 33. Al Horford, 37 to 27. Jason Tatum, 35 to 30. And a lot of these, if you watch this game, this, this series, and you guys have, and I assume anyone listening has, you know, especially in game five, a lot of these are open looks that they are simply missing. So there's only so much credit I want to give to the Sixers defense. As an old boss used to say to me when we would shoot videos, I would do a take and he would say, do it again, but better. <laughs> Is that what the Celtics need to do in game six? Do they need to do it again, but better? Or are there real changes, Abby, that need to be made? I mean, yeah, I think it would be really good if they could hit shots. That would be great. I think that is super important. Um, but, I mean, of course there are adjustments. There are things you can do. There are ways to... But drastic the- ones or ones that the average viewer wouldn't even notice? Oh, definitely the second one. <laughs> yeah. I think so. I, I mean, the Celtics offense, we, we know what it's capable of. We know when what it looks like when it is running at a higher level. And so I do. I think it's about execution. And and there can be – I mean, the, the numbers for the Celtics are so interesting to me because they struggle so late in those crunch time moments. But their ATO's numbers, they're in the tops of the league throughout the rest of the re- of the games. And so, like, the regular season and into the postseason. And Good so, thing Joe would call more timeouts because of that. They know how to run plays. They can execute them when they come out of a huddle. Uh, it's a matter of, I mean, uh, there are always adjustments. I am not the X's and O's person to say, well, you just move so-and-so off the ball, and then they're coming and I, you cut here. And I, there are. Our ways, I, with this team and Al Horford, it was really interesting now that you say this, um, mentioned to me earlier in the season that he had to shift his mind to, you know, a typical basketball player, you, if you're not hitting shots from wide range, you go and 
you go and get a layup, go and get a foul just to see the shot, go get an easy one Mm -hmm. and then build yourself back out. And he said, I had to shift my mindset because that's not what this team needs from me. This team does not need me to be a low post player and to do work around the basket. So his mindset shifts and is starting from the perimeter in. And so I think that if there are major adjustments to be made, I'm not sure that now is the time to do it. I think that the players in that locker room could execute that, but we've seen what this offense is capable of. And so I'm not sure that I just, I go back to the defense to me, it, the offense yeah. is not the issue and, and shot variance is a thing. It is a make or miss league. That's absolutely true. If they hit five more threes in that first half, it would have been a completely different game. But if their defense, their defense should be good enough to get enough stops that the shot variance shouldn't be such an issue. This is Abby's right. I was going to mention this, and she mentioned this um, at the end of it. So it's it's this is where I want to go. Abby's correct. Their offense is not the problem. Their defense is the problem. Their defense also fuels their offense, right? Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. get stopped, you want to play at yeah. and can run in transition like they do, and they can get like Scal has talked about this. I can't tell you how many times this season, and I and it's, it's it's correct. That's why I keep talking about it. When the C's get teams to rotate multiple times, right, that's when Boston's at their most dangerous. Boston is a drive-and-kick basketball team, and they're better when they get multiple drives and kicks on the same possession. Now, Boston is running to a Philadelphia team who's one of the best defensive teams half-court in the NBA this year, okay? To, to get them out of their game, so to speak, you have to speed up the transition stuff. You have to get stops on one end to help your offense on the other end because if you can get stops, you can play fast, you can get multiple drives to the basket, multiple kicks out, kick, kick outs, and swing it around for open three-point shooters to catch them in rhythm. Mm-hmm. The issue that I've had is a lot of these shots don't seem really in rhythm, right? They seem like sort of disjointed of like not the usual Celtics pace or their tempo. And I think that's been one of their biggest problems. If you get stops, and this is so stupid that it feels like this easy, but I do when you really boil it all the way down to its simplistic form, get stops on one end to fuel your offense, get easier points because it's hard to score against Embiid in the half court. It's hard to score against Embiid in transition as we found out last night. Jalen Brown got got a layup blocked by Embiid out of nowhere because Embiid's insane. He's amazing. So if you can find ways to beat that defense down the floor, get easy points, make them slow down, reset your half-court defense, your life's going to be a lot easier. And, it, and you know, you're going to make and miss shots. It's just variance. But what you can control is what the other team does. And if you play with better effort, which we know they can do, you're going to help your offense. And I, I, I it's it, it sucks that it feels this simple because it's really not because you're playing a game. And the other team's also good. Like, that's the one thing I think a lot of people have lost sight of is that the Philadelphia 76ers are good at basketball. And I I dismiss them a lot throughout the regular season and in the postseason. I will – I'm uh, – my bad, okay? Sixers are a good basketball team when they function the correct way. James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid are very good basketball players. And I think what happened was everybody was like, oh, this will be a cakewalk. No big deal. And it's not. And what has now happened is pressure's now flipped to Boston to the point where either they win this game or their season's over. So maybe Boston will play with the right amount of uh, enthusiasm and attitude on one end of the floor because it'll feel the other end of the floor. It's really Evan, I was right there with you on the Sixers and not being afraid of this team. I was not. Just, not. I mean – the success in the postseason. Nobody was. This has Nobody not been was. a rivalry. Yeah, Joel Embiid basically called the Celtics his daddy for the last two games. Embiid was what one in eleven against the Celtics in the playoffs all time. Yes, well, in the, in the postseason, and then the regular season series this year gave me no reason to fear this team. The Celtics won three of them. I mean, the one that was close that Jason hit the three was never. That's that was something that they turned on late as well. And then the one loss came late in the season, no Jalen Brown, and Joel Embiid had to put up 52 points and carry his team. The Celtics were fine with him going off. They were playing a base defense. It was, go ahead and beat us, Joel. This is not 
This is not an issue for us. And so I came into this series with no fear, the utmost confidence. And again, we go back to where we started. That's what's most disappointing is that it shouldn't be a series. This should not be happening. And so the fact that the season is on the brink is just unbelievable. So while you guys were talking and I'll, I'll, this will be the last thing for me. I was, I was digging this up in our text thread, Evan, from our guy Landman and Abby, you may want to double check the math or ask the, you know, the, the great statisticians over at your spot. Oh, we, yeah, we got a, we got a text group. You want to join in the in-game text thread, Abby? You'll, you'll be, you'll be amused. Oh, no. Okay. No, I I don't think, I don't think you do. No, it would be very distracting while you're trying to work as well, unless you silence the notifications, but the, uh, there's a stat that is, and you could use this if uh, if you want to in your reporting, because I do think it's yeah, interesting. It's not something anybody is talking about. Uh, it has driven our buddy Seth crazy. He's correct, by the way. He, he is, is right that they keep harping nationally on TV in these games. You know, the 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 game five winner of a tied series goes on to win eighty two percent of the series, and it it has driven him up a wall. How people continue to harp on this for this reason. Road teams that win game five are actually 26 and 13 in these series. It's the home teams that understandably are 106 and 12. So you're talking about disparity of roughly 90% success rate versus, you know, two thirds, 67% success. So it's not, I'm not saying Philly isn't the favorite at this point, of course, but not nearly as big of a, you know, automatic layup the 82 percent would tend to suggest i um in my on celtics pregame live i i do a hit in what's called the a block right off the top of the show and a lot of times it features these numbers and i just i every time i remind myself historically this is what the numbers are because that has absolutely no bearing on what is going to happen in this game that we're about to see what Every single situation, every story is different. That's why I love sports. Like, just because 99% of something happens, there's this one time that it doesn't end. This could be that one time. So I don't like those numbers at all. I understand Uh, that they indicate trends and, but I mean, yeah, the, like you said, the home team losing a game five, they have home court advantage because they have a better record in the regular season. There should be the better team to go on and win that series. So, yeah. If if yeah. I if I I lied, that, that wasn't the last thing for me. Ev, this never happens to us, but we have in-show breaking news. And all NBA, break- it's happening. All NBA is out. Let's First team. Hang on, hold Please. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Do I need to get alcohol for this so I'm not angry? Like, what's going on? So, do you do you want me to read complete teams, or do you want me to just, just give you the the part that people care about? The part that I extremely care about. This has been something I've been talking about for like six months. Jason Tatum has made the first team as expected. Jalen Brown, second team. Huh? <laughs> Jalen Brown, all hey. NBA second team, which is Gary hey. Washburn yes. just tweeted. Gary Washburn just tweeted that means that he is now eligible this summer for a five-year, $295 million extension. Yes! Oh, sorry. Like he said, he will not shy away from paying whatever it takes for a championship. I am so happy for Jalen. My God. Oh, man. Second team. Good for him. He earned it, Not even third team. Second team. Second team. Guys, oh, I'm so happy. He's joined by just so I'll I'll, I'll tell the people, even Jimmy though people Butler. probably will have read it by by the time I say it. He's joined by Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Jimmy Butler, and Jokic. On the third team, you have Damian Lillard, De'Aaron Fox, LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Demontis Sabonis. And people could probably guess the first team, but it's Jason Tatum, Giannis, Luca, Joel Embiid, and Shea. Shea Gildress Alexander. Deserved it for sure. Yep. Congrats to Jalen. That's amazing. I'm so pumped for him. Voting in as a forward, not as a guard. Mm-hmm. Still gets paid. Super pumped. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the and money that means they won't leave Boston, right? You're not turning yeah. down an extra 50 plus million dollars. Can I? Bays are here to stay. Well, this is, this can be a talking oh, point for, this can be a talking point for a future show, not this one. Uh, but, 
but I, I, I'll put it out into the universe just because this was a question that I don't know if you read past it, Evan, but this was a question that, uh, that Seth asked us when we were talking all NBA on our chat, which was if God forbid they go out in this series, especially if it happens in six games and the kind of effort we've seen in the last couple, does ownership actually give out the contract? Yeah, yeah yes. absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You're, you need you need Jalen Brown to win a title. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. <laughs> I am inclined to agree. There's no but way I, around it. But I think it's I'm going. I think it's going to be interesting. again, especially yeah. an all NBA talent. Yeah, I'm so pumped for Jalen. Who and, cares and, uh, about winning? And who I have <laughs> once he gets the bag is gonna. Sure. I have I have I have very selfish reasons for, for show what, show for title Abby Chin. Who cares about winning? He's got the bag. <laughs> I, I, we wouldn't I, do no, that I, said, to you. Don't I don't worry. think he's someone, he's someone who cares about winning. No, 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 no I agree. And I agree. that won't yeah. change once yeah. he gets the bag. The, yeah. And the thing about Jalen for me, I just think it's, uh, just regardless of basketball stuff, because it's not about basketball stuff. I think Jalen's a great player. It's not like he's amazing. I think it's really important that Jalen hangs out in Boston and stays here because I do think that Jalen's, uh, higher calling, um, for, um, you know, uh, more equality in America is, is really, really important. And I think it's really important that he does this in Boston versus somewhere else. Um, you know, I've, I've read a lot of stuff about Jalen over the years. We've all read everything. Um, but like nobody talks about the stuff that he wants to talk about that has his platform, like that big of a platform in the city of Boston. Mm-hmm. I think it's super important that Jalen continues what he's doing in the city of Boston, in the state of Massachusetts to fight for people uh, that don't have as big of an opportunity as Jalen has. Um, and it's and, it, and like the Bill Russell cleat, like the Bill Russell shoes further uh, exemplify, like further um, add credence to like his mission and his goal in life. I think it's super important that he stays in Boston, continues this particular journey, because I think, we collectively as a group of people uh, need to have some very tough conversations and uneasy conversations. I think it's important that Jalen continues to push for these conversations to happen, um, especially in the city. The city has a very rich history, um, but it needs to acknowledge certain things. I think Jalen is the is a great person to conduct these conversations. So it's as much as I love watching Jalen play basketball, and I really do. The guy's unbelievable. Um, it's more about advancing Boston as a group um, in the city, in the state of Massachusetts as a group, into um, better conversations. And I think Jalen is a great conduit for that. Um, and it's super important that he hangs around. Like I, I, I just like. The Red Sox and Mookie Betts. I don't. I don't mean to like bring this into a race thing, but like to the fact that Boston had Mookie Betts in their backyard and decided that he wasn't worth paying to go to L.A. and be amazing. Like I think that's a huge problem. Um, I'm glad that Boston um, has the opportunity to step up and give Jalen what he deserves in terms of a contract. But it's not just about his contributions on the court. It for me, it's more about his stuff off the court. Um, that will continue to to be a really positive thing for Boston. I think it's awesome. Personally. We do have to wrap the show, but I uh, I just want to bring agree it back. more with that, Evan. That was- yeah, no, all okay. all accurate and something we've talked a lot about on this show, and we'll continue to uh, obviously in in future shows without a doubt. I want to bring it back to the bag though for one more second because there is uh, an aspect that I did not bring up. You know, our our fixation, and rightfully so, for Jalen Brown. It's been you know we've been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks about. Will he be all NBA and which team if he is and will he get voted in as a forward and all of that stuff? Uh, Bobby Marks, very important tweet here from him with Jason Tatum getting all NBA once again, second straight year. Uh, both players are now eligible for super max deals. Brown, obviously this summer, 2024, uh, and, uh, Jason Tatum in 2025. And, uh, does not need to be named next season in order to qualify because he has the back to back. So Bobby, uh, Marks has put out, uh, that if, if anyone has missed this by the time you're listening, that Tatum is now going to be eligible for a five year, $318 million extension that he can sign as soon as July 2024. And again, Jalen Brown, five years, 295 that he can sign as soon as, uh, awesome. this, you know, this, this coming summer here. 
I have two quick ones before we get out of here, Kaufman. One's for Ab, one's for you. So we'll start with Abby. Abby, how hard is it to do these makeup tutorials while you're spewing out stats before games? Because they're awesome. <laughs> I, think they're I actually... I you actually want to know if it's tough to shoot videos yeah. while stepping out of the car. I think, I think it's an internet? incredible combination of focus. Because, like, I don't know how often people try and do this at home, but, like, what Abby's doing in the mirror is so hard. It's so hard <laughs> Thanks, Evan. I got you. Did not know that's where we were going. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, you only see parts, and then I know what the stat is, and I can do it multiple times. So there's more than what? one. Ab, more what? Than one it's one take. What are you talking about? One take. No problem. Totally. <laughs> All the way through. But yeah, of course Absolutely. it is. But how hard is that? It's, it's, it's impossible to do that simultaneously. Um, I I wouldn't say that my makeup looks professionally done on a regular basis, so it's it's not. Now you're being hard on yourself. That bad. Um, no, but it's been fun. I like doing it. I I'm not sure. Um, that anyone's actually listening to the stats. All my mom friends are like. <laughs> tutorials and then uh, oh, I'm here for the stats. All the guys, all the guys who follow me are like, "What is this? Why is this happening?" And it's like, <laughs> you know, just here to learn. Got to create content. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You are awesome. definitely creating content. Yes, I'll finish up with you, bud. Thank you for noticing. I love them. Keep. Doing I was going to ask you about uh, about how tough it is to shoot videos while stepping out of cars. The walk and talk. That's, yeah, that's that, that was that's one take. Level. I really did do that in one take. Didn't See? trip. Didn't fall. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, hey, look, it's people think this is easy. It's not easy. No. Uh and I will finish with you, bud. Yeah. As someone who has always mentioned, because this is, we never really get to feel, we never get Kaufman's really takes on stuff. Kaufman oh, has always been the guy who's like, I'm asking the questions. My opinion is never really integrated in this. So I'm going to. nervous. Gonna, what Kaufman, is this? I'm going to give Kaufman right? a shot. Kaufman has often bragged about how much Doc stinks in the playoffs and how many how, how many playoff series Doc has blown in his career. Kaufman, hmm. as someone who has driven the bus on Doc is wildly overrated. It's more like what a is back your confidence bus. level right now that Boston is down in the series three to two. Uh at how much trouble is my take in or or uh No no. How are you feeling? Oh, how do I feel? Uh, I Have you thought about the fact that Doc's on the other side, or are we not even considering that? No, because I don't feel like Doc is responsible for it. He pulled <laughs> the Daniel House lever last game. Yeah, he did. Look, he's Missoula has been outcoached. There's, there's no question about that. But I also just think, again, cliche, Philly's best players have been the best versions of themselves, and Boston's have not at all and need to be. So I, I think that, you know, I, I think in general, and, and this is, this sort of goes back, Evan, to the whole Doc Rivers is overrated, you know, conversation that began years ago. Like I, I wasn't a big fan of Doc while he was winning in Boston. This isn't like something that developed, you know, in his, in his stop since I, I, I've just never been a big, you know, Doc guy in terms of the, I like, I, I, we had perk on the podcast and I was like, you know, he's overrated, right? Like we've had this conversation with guys who played for doc rivers. I've, I've felt very strongly about this, but part of it comes back to the fact that I just think, and I've said this a number of times, so I'll keep this quick. I think the coaching in the NBA in general, when you have a contending level team, a super talented team is just vastly overrated. I think coaching matters more if you're mediocre, rebuilding, you've got a team that is, you know, you're looking to steer the ship with a lot of young players. When you have established talent, guys who have been through the ringer time and time again, maybe even won titles in the past or had multiple deep playoff runs, at that point in time, you are more of a manager of egos, less of an X's and O's person. Generally, you know, there are exceptions, obviously, but generally that is kind of how that coach is identified. And that is certainly how people view Doc. And that doesn't make Doc a bad NBA coach. You know, I'm not saying Doc is, you know, like someone who doesn't know the league. He's a basketball lifer, but his reputation is that of a guy who manages his players. You know, like we give Tom Thibodeau, rightfully so, the credit for Boston's stellar defense during the new Big Three era. We don't give Doc that credit. We give Tibbs that credit. And so I I think that's just a big part of it. And it gets elevated, you know, the 
sort of giving credence to it. You can give more support by looking at the multiple blown 3-1 or 3-0 series leads that Doc has suffered, be it starting in Boston or since. But him, if they come back to win this thing from, you know, what were they? It was down 2-1 or or whatever. It wasn't, it was never like it was 3-1. It almost was. But if they come back to win this thing, I just think, Everything that we said before about Joe, I think it's less about Joe. I think it's less about Doc, and I think it's more about the execution of the players. And I think that's just what it boils down to. That's fair. So no, you will not give Doc any more credit. No, absolutely not. If I'll, I'll tell you what, you, I'll give Doc yes. credit if he wins a title with this Sixers team because this Sixers team does, even if they win, and right now they're leading, they do not impress me. They don't. So if they go win a championship, I will absolutely give Doc his flowers, okay. no doubt about it. All right. You have it here. You heard it here first. That's right. I also believe if the Celtics don't win the title, it's going to come out of the West anyway. I think the only true contender in the East is Boston, and we see where Boston is right now. So I think it's the Western Conference or the Celtics. Not happening. I'm not killing Jimmy Butler till he's dead. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it'd be crazy to. I can't believe. I cannot believe what Miami is doing. I just have so much respect for Jimmy Butler. It's like you see. I think the. I I don't know if this is still the case, but it was earlier in the day. The Heat are at plus money, man. On uh, on 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 tonight's game. I mean. When Julius Randle says post game they wanted it more and they they seem to want it more like your current never mind in the past tense of that game put my money on Miami I picked Miami going into the series even though the Knicks were favored I no confidence in New York. but that's a whole other thing we'll do this again in a couple of days and I pray I pray that we are talking about a game seven and I never in a million years would have thought those words would come out of my mouth but uh, <laughs> thanks. To uh, to Evan, obviously, to Abby Chin for hopping on right right off the the plane into her hotel room and joining us in Philadelphia for this show. Let us hope, for all of our sakes, uh, yours especially, Abby, because you will be in the building. That this is an entertaining game. It is fun. It is a win, and we've got uh, a, you know we don't we don't want a somber Mother's Day. I know you probably don't want to work Mother's Day. It would but be the, the only silver lining. I am also yeah. planning to take the team plane home tomorrow night. So yes, a win is. Absolutely necessary. <laughs> so there you go. Happy Mother's Day to yeah, you. Like, and, Happy Mother's Day, yes, to everyone out there. Happy Mother's Day to Abby and the moms. The best. And Adam, you know, having a Father's Day. Mother's Day is amazing. It's like you get a second birthday every year. That? You earn more than that, but we'll we'll stick to two. Yeah, without a doubt. All right. This has been Celtics Beat. Thanks to our great sponsors and everybody else involved in the program. We'll see you.